We were um, in Acts chapter 2, and then I deviated, and we're going to deviate again. We're going to go back to 1 Corinthians. Um, it's the sort of thing uh, I often say in certain circles, not speaking of you guys, just illustratively. Uh, you have to get people unsaved before you can get them saved. Because they think they're saved. And, uh, you know, they don't really know the Lord at all. Um, so, you know, with the issue of uh, the gifts of the Spirit, you have to sort of undo a bunch of stuff uh, that the church thinks and teaches. And then you have to reconstruct it with the Word of God so that it's actually what the Word teaches on these subjects. And that's that's important. Um there are things all throughout history <clears throat> that the church has done, and um, because they've had the experience, then they insist this is biblical. Because we're the church, so how could we possibly do something that's unbiblical, is sort of the attitude. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll wade back into this, and I'll, I'll go that a little further down that road. Father... Uh, as we turn our hearts to the Word, and as we think about uh, the gifts of the Spirit, the, the singular gift of the Holy Spirit, and how it then manifests itself, I pray that we would listen to your Word, that we would hear from you, that we would follow what it is that you are saying uh, to us uh, collectively and individually, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to dwell on that sort of thinking for a second, right? We address certain things. Like if I said being slain in the Spirit is not biblical, you know, there's a bunch of Christianity that does this, right? They, they fall down on the floor and they have all of these gyrations and experiences and they insist that's the holy spirit okay um for some people they would argue and and you have a hard time so let me back up one step further right uh, has anybody here uh, ever been baptized for someone else who has already died They've died, they were unbaptized, and you got baptized for them? No, right. Ah, but Paul mentions that in the Scripture. And early in the church, they began the practice, thinking, right, because Paul wrote about it, that this is a Christian experience. Okay, And, and it isn't. And quickly, the church leaders corrected the churches that were participating in that and explained and taught them, no, Paul was referring to a practice that was performed by the pagans. Okay? So he's Paul isn't speaking of it like, oh, so you guys should be baptized for the dead. But they read his referencing in that, and they're like, oh, well, we missed that, so we should start getting baptized for the dead. And, and this practice emerges into Christianity for a brief period of time, until the church leaders are like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> We're getting baptized for Uncle Bob, and 
you know, Aunt Mary and all these people that have died. They, you know, they, they, uh, they, you know, maybe they even died on their deathbed and made professions of faith, but never got baptized. So we're getting baptized for them. And, and, you know, where did you get that? Well, Paul is writing right here and he says, you know, why else are they baptized for the dead? So we need to get baptized for the dead. No, no. Paul's referencing a, a pagan practice. Okay, and he's, he's bringing spiritual light to it. So my point is that there have been throughout church history practices that jump into the church, creep into the church, end up in the church, and, and you aren't supposed to do certain things. Paul, right here, right, is writing to the church at Corinth. So this is early on, and he's correcting a whole bunch of things. And you would think, right, the church is participating in these things. We're going to read through more of them. And it corrects those practices. And you would think that back then, historically, the church would have gone, oh, okay, well, there. We need to, like, as an organization, as an entity, never participate in these things in this way again. And instead, it's cycled back into the church and back into the church and back into the church and back into the church. And the only way that it gets corrected is when the church will honestly take the approach of saying, well, okay, maybe our practices aren't right. So how do we get corrected? Okay, the Word of God. So let's examine the Word of God. And okay, well, there it is written in the Word, specifically saying there's a whole bunch of this that you're not doing. So start doing it. And then there's a whole bunch of this that you are doing, which is incorrect. So stop doing that. And if you can read it and recognize it, then it's time to embrace it and obey it. Does that make sense to us all? Okay. So we started with speaking in tongues. There, Acts chapter 2, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, and then you will be my martyrs, witnesses, but martyrs unto death. You'll, you'll be given the power to stand up and proclaim the truth of the gospel, even to the point of they putting you to death. And so I'm going to give you power, right? So now, today, we got guys that are on TV uh, that are going, you know, in the power. And, 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 and in their mind, just that phraseology is the power. Now, how about this? This will mess you up, but stay with me, right? That phraseology of going like, I'm God, you know, right? And I mean, it sounds like I'm mocking it. And okay, I am. But, you know, but follow me, okay? There was a period of time in particularly American history, right? And this is going to sound weird, but stay with me. The roller coaster ride is sometimes fun and definitely informative. So in... American history, radio came into play. And you're, you know, like thinking, well, what's that going to do with where we're at? Okay, well, here's the deal. Uh, We start out with the transistor, right? And, and, And it's a precursor to the microchip. And we move through several developmental phases, right? Tube radios and circuitry progresses. And we take a little trip through crystal radios. Does everybody remember 
like at least finding one in your grandfather's garage and monkeying around with that thing and listening to it. Wasn't the sound quality terrible on crystal radios? It strips the signal right down to this like little tiny bandwidth in the middle and everything's really high pitched and you can't really hear and it crackles and it's all kind of a mess. Crystal radios. But it was it was super cheap, way easy to produce, and they were everywhere, right? And it was as radio was exploding, right? I had one. It was a little older. It would fit in your pocket. It looked like maybe a thermostat off the wall. It was like square. had like those lines on it even and a big dial on it. And it had one earpiece wire, right? And in school, right, you could put that in your pocket and you could run that up the back of your neck and move it around and put that ear. And you could listen to, you know, Z62. Does anybody remember Z62 and Chuck Foster and you know, a bunch of you guys are going, what? You know, AM radio, okay? AM, okay, so now we're in radio lesson. You know, the, the bandwidth goes all the way to the stratosphere, and then it bounces off the earth and back up, and it goes a long ways. And so uh, AM uh, it could get a signal a lot further. So here we go with the biblical lesson. A bunch of ministers, a bunch of pastors were like, yeah, it was like the Internet. AM radio and crystal radios and everybody's listening. We could get the gospel onto the radio and people will listen, right? So they start recording, recording quality way low, okay? Now put it on the radio station, big reel tapes that are rolling alongside. Like in the very beginning, it was actually LPs. They were recording on records, okay? And, and you put the LP on and you, and you play that over the airways and it goes out over terrible AM transmitters, and then it lands in a crystal radio set. So by the time you're listening to it, it's like, you know, you're like, what? Why am I listening to this? So they teach the ministers in seminary radio classes. If you end up in a church that has a radio station, when you preach, because they're recording their sermons very often from the pulpit. They don't have money to buy time inside a recording studio and record a separate radio program. So they're recording in their church services, and that's making the radio. So they got, they got to actually modify how they speak so that the recording comes out clear enough so that when it's put over the airwaves and it lands in a crystal radio set, People can understand. So now the announcers begin to say that when God tells you, and so now people are listening on the radio and they're being powerfully affected by that, and then they go become a minister, they're now standing in the pulpit. They don't even have a radio station. They don't even have a recording studio. Nothing's happening. But when they preach, they make sure that everyone could hear. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's not even fervence, right? These guys are imitating people that are making sure that their enunciation can be heard very well over terrible transmissions and received on crystal radio sets so that the average person listening can hear the word of God very clearly. And, and people assume, listen to how fervent this man is. He bites off the end of every word. You know what I'm saying? 
and God, you know, it just it, it doesn't have anything to do with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me all of the different patterns and methods that the churches have adopted and brought in and made assumptions about. I have been around soft-spoken men who are very meek and mild and quiet. And just you'd never imagine that when they get in the pulp on Sunday, they will scream and they will shout and they will, you know, and you're just like, what? Like, this is a different personality here. The the imitation line, like, we're, okay, look, I got to look at that and go, that seems insincere. That this this is, in their mind, an element of power. Whereas, in, okay, so now what's the power? We're right, stay in Jerusalem until you've received power. Power to die for your faith. The ability to count everything as loss, just to not care, to just have one goal, one mission preach Christ. The world hates me. Good, let's preach on. That's the, the power of the Holy Spirit working in that. Not their influx, not the way that they enunciate and their, you know, body language and all their weirdness. And so you go through the chapters of history and these things come into the church and develop the church and become part of the church. And then then we're all astonished when we get to glimpse behind the curtain. And this man who's so fervent and so fiery and we're so impressed with is, well, in reality, a total heathen. His heart hasn't been changed. He, he, he hasn't been born again. He's the same person he was born as naturally. Sinner, wretch, unchanged by God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the church wants to be very careful about the things that have come in, crept in, been forced in. That everybody else, you know, I'm, I mean, I grew up around Pentecostal circles where, okay, you're saved, fine, but you haven't spoken tongues, so you're a second-rate Christian. You know, th that's not what the scripture says. Not even remotely. Right? So, these gifts are given out as God sees fit. That's where we left off. Right, for his purposes, not ours, not for our recognition, not because I want the tongue. I want tongues. Just give me tongues. I need tongues. I gotta let me prophesy. Let me prophesy, and I beg and plead until God gives me what I want. No, God says, "Oh, there's a group of people right over there that are in need of this gift. So now I'm going to pour my spirit out upon that person right there, and I'm going to send them in there to go do that thing." The motivation on God's part for imparting the gift are the people that are going to receive that gift, right? Jesus Christ was Lord of all, emptied himself, and became the servant of everyone. His servants, his believers, his children here on earth are going to be emptied of themselves, filled with the Holy Spirit, equipped to go serve the group of people that God sends them to. It isn't going to be everybody's going to turn around and go, oh my goodness, they speak in tongues. I can't, I just, I've never been around somebody that can speak in tongues. It's amazing. You know, I'm just, I'm going to sit here. I'm, I must be a second rate Christian. I feel humiliated over the fact that I'm in a crowd full of people. They all speak in tongues and I can't speak in tongues. 
That, that's not how the Holy Spirit works. It is not what the Lord does. Again, I want to be very clear, right? I believe in, I endorse speaking in tongues, and I'll, I'll say blatantly, I speak in tongues. I have a, what, you know, some have dubbed a prayer language where I uh, speak to God. Very few times in my life have I ever even heard or understood the interpretation of that. As a result, I find no use for it in the church. You know, for me to sit here and start babbling right now in a language you don't understand would uh, probably embarrass most of you, right? It's definitely like, I'm okay, I've gotten off the rails a little bit. I'll, I'll try to pull this back to sense. Okay, like, do I, in sharing with you, feed you things that you walk away chewing on, right? Thinking about, processing. Okay, I would say that to that end, that's that's my gift. God has gifted me to sit here and expound upon the Word of God. And illustrate it and put it in such a way that you, you go back and say, Well, I gotta fit that into my life. I gotta I gotta process this, I gotta, you know, this I gotta work this thing out. You know, and if I sit here and speak in tongues, like what are you gonna walk away? Like, I, I that doesn't fit anywhere. You know what I'm saying? I don't I don't I, I'll just put that in a box, I guess, and keep it. Because it doesn't it doesn't do anything in my life. So, so you know, this the 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 understand these issues and and, and really the motivation, right? Because back up, the gift comes from God, not me. The gift goes back to God said, "I'm going to give this person a gift for the purpose of those people." It isn't for this. Well, I'm going to give this person gifts, and wow, man, he's just going to be like electrified with recognition. <laughs> you know, we're going to look on and go, "He is great." That's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that whatever the gift is builds up the listener. The person who hears it is made better by it. Be it speaking in tongues or be it prophecy or be it preaching and teaching. And look, right, and most of you have read through this and we're about to go into it. That's exactly what Paul says to the church at Corinth here in chapter 12, 13, and 14. The gift is supposed to make the hearer stronger, better, more equipped. You say, well, speaking in tongues, I mean, what's that going to do? Well, right when we were in Acts chapter 2, thousands come to know the Lord that day. That's like undeniable right there. You know, how many members of the church were there previous to Peter speaking, right? Well, in the crowd, zero. <laughs> he gets done speaking, 3,000. That's a lot of building up. That's a lot of, uh, you know, constructing of the church there in that moment. So, uh, we had just finished verse 11, but one in the same spirit works all these things, uh, forgive me, uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, at verse 11. One in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all members of that body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ, right? Fingers, hand, Arm, elbow, right? Bicep, shoulder, 
you know, triceps, uh, you know, triceps, traps, uh, you know, it, it's all part of the same body. You know, fingers clearly, you know, great distinguishing feature of, of, of the animal kingdom. You know, there's so much more that, that uh, you know, animals and human beings with fingers can do than horses, right? I mean, you rarely see a horse dial a telephone, right? Uh, dial telephone. Anyway, um, um, you know, then go opposable thumbs, right? To to oppose this grip, you get this grip. They work together. This is very unique in the animal kingdom, and we have so much better. So you know, at no point can the thumb act like I I am so superior to. You know, unseen internal organs, useless. <laughs> Who cares? You know, I'm out here thumb gripping everything. You know, I'm I'm probably more significant than fingers. Th thumb can't really say that. And yet, within the body of Christ, there is this mentality: I am more significant. And it's relayed in such a way that the body often looks at that member who boasts like that, you know, whether they do it directly outwardly or just by implication. I'm more significant than everyone else. Then everyone else is left wishing, boy, I wish I could be, you know, a thumb. <laughs> wish I could be like that person. They have this gift. They have this ability. I wish I could be. We are all, all so significant. Right. You know, for a while, um, scientists, doctors were saying, well, the appendix, right, even within its phraseology, seems useless. It's right, an appendix. It's just you know, it's added on. You know, it's just, just like useless. Right? I don't know if you've followed any of this, but now they fully understand that the appendix goes through cycles of storing bacteria where it pulls out of your intestinal tract constant samples and it's constantly replacing the file. Like, wow, that file's changed. We'll pull that one in here right now and we'll pull this old one out and we'll dump it and we'll now sort of, oh, hey, you've added to this. Well, we'll put this in here and we'll get rid of this. Why? Because if you get so sick that your fever spikes and it wipes out the bacteria inside your digestive tract, right? Anybody here ever had uh, antibiotics wipe out the bacteria in your digestive tract? And the brutal experience <laughs> that follows, right, in your digestive tract, where you have to try and repopulate with probiotics and yogurt and all, because you just like stuff is just shooting straight through, right? Because nothing's there breaking anything down. The appendix closes off and protects the bacteria file. And then, if it's not so overwhelming that it survives, it opens and sends the files out into the digestive tract to repopulate what they refer to as the flora. Okay? Any of us that have experienced through illness, uh, anytime the fever gets... Um, uh, 103, 104, 105, it starts killing off like all bacteria content. And you can end up suffering so badly in, in your digestive system.
not having that bacteria in your bowel. Okay. Um, you get above 105, of course, delirium and life-threatening circumstances, but th that actually is so high it begins to threaten the bacteria content inside your appendix. Okay. Uh, when that survives and it's able to repopulate, um, you recover fairly rapidly uh, from whatever has damaged that, right? Some of us have had the experience of having our appendix get infected, rupture, be removed, and uh, you may have noticed that recovery from antibiotics and recovery from certain illnesses, particularly in this idea of the bacterial content in your bowel, are more difficult. You know, now, now they're far less apt they're to remove that. They, they, they work at trying to, you know, create health and restore health and keep it in there because they understand now how important it is. Oh, compare that, right, to the thumb. Use a thumb all day, every day, right? Open files with it and doorknobs with it and on. I mean, without the thumb, an appendix, well, I mean, it's just an appendix. But how significant is it? Right? Unseen, unheard, just doing its function down there silently. Very significant. Body of Christ, preacher, recognize. Oh, I wish I could be that. Yeah, well, how about the other people in the church? Right? I'm not even talking about janitors within the church. I'm talking about the unseen person who's hearing from the Holy Spirit that somebody is on their heart and mind, and they actually pick up the phone and call them and say, you've been on my heart all day. What's going on? And they pour out their heart, and they pray with them, and they give them the Bible verses the Lord delivered, and they're so grateful, and tears are shed, and then, you know, done. And nobody even notices. No one notices that that member in the body of Christ has served the body of Christ so well. You know, that person that was missing, you know, per the phone call, ends up back in church and everybody's happy, but nobody even knows what went on behind the scenes that restored that health. We, we have it all wrong, you guys, as the church very often, as to what's important and what's significant. And hear me in this, right? Confrontation and encouragement. We very often look to others and think that they're the significant portion and we are somehow on a lower, lesser, useless scale. The whole body works together and has its fit purpose. We want to be very careful about what the church has done in creating this mentality of, you know, various degrees of importance and super classes of Christians and all these silly things. We are all so significant to one another. The body of Christ needs to understand that. So the body, you know, is one, has many members, uh, you know, uh, all the members of the body being many are one body and also in Christ for by one spirit we have all we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks whether slaves or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit 
part of his address there is the fact that uh, they're coming together. You know, we have the ritual of communion, and I've described to us before how, especially in this day, it was a meal. It was a full-blown meal. It, it was a feast that they held together once a week. They did it every week. So communion was every week, and it was a feast. And what was happening is, right, the wealthier coming in, and they're eating to the point of gluttony and drunkenness. And the slaves are coming in, and they're being neglected. The Jews are coming in and acting like we're far more significant than the Gentiles. Right? And the Gentiles are, are willfully taking that position of, of we're, we're meaningless. We're, you know, we're barely inside the threshold, really. You know, just... Uh. You know, we, if if we're saved, we probably rolled through the door smoking. You know what I'm saying? Just uh, hell had its grip upon us, and we barely broke free. No, Paul is saying, you know, you you all are as significant. You all are baptized into one spirit. You all have the same access to Christ and the same significance to the body of Christ. It's important. That we understand this. For in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body because of the confession? Does that make it less significant? Think about this. I know people that have left churches because they felt useless. I, I need to go someplace else. I'm useless here. Oh, wait a minute. You know, has your feeling of uselessness caused you to become useless? Right? If we were instead looking for purpose, looking for opportunity, creating opportunities and circumstances for ourselves, uh, you know, acting upon and doing. One of the, the biggest things that all of us could do, and it's out of a selfish, sinful thought and method of self-preservation, is we are all equipped and called to be evangelists. Every one of us. You can go outside these walls and speak to people. Right? Maybe you're not bold enough to just open your mouth at the checkout line. Maybe you haven't developed, you know, the inhibition. Maybe you haven't, you know, found a way to close the deal, right? You might be able to talk to somebody briefly about Jesus, but now they're going to get in their car and you can't really invite them to church. You know, that's it. Okay, but you probably have people around you that you could through um my my friend Lloyd Pulley is the pastor of Calvary Chapel in uh, Oldbridge, New Jersey. And uh, years ago, he wrote a book called Patient Evangelism. And it was all about just developing friendships and leading people to Christ through that. Rather than being some soapbox street corner preacher, just the people Christ has put in your life, taking the initiative to you know, talk to them and share them with the purpose, intention of, I am going to lead this person to Christ. One week, one month, one year, however it works, I, I have the purpose, intention of developing this friendship 
with the cause and the method of evangelizing them. Uh, all of us can do that. Every one of us can expand the kingdom and work. You know, if, if the foot says, oh, well, you know, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body of Christ. Any one of us that has had an injury, and he's going to talk about this, right, uh, where you can't use your foot for a period of time, knows suddenly how painfully aware you become of not just the pain, right, of how useful your foot is every day, all day. You know, something you took advantage of. So consider, right, again, confrontation and encouragement that we each need to find our usefulness and accomplish that. So the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole uh, were hearing, where would be the smelling? If you didn't have a nose, you wouldn't be able to sense certain things. Uh, you know, that that is a thing <clears throat> that I am particularly aware of. My wife has a, a hypersensitivity of smell, right? I have like extremely low sense of smell. I will at times for like a day or two have a heightened sense. And like, I know that like, wow, like I can't believe like these things smell. And then it's off again for, you know, a year at a time. I, I became, I was one of the deals when we started having children, I became the diaper changer. Didn't bother me at all. I got no sense of whatever. You know what I'm saying? Other than the visual, no big deal. Like, you know, sometimes the visual is pretty powerful too. You know what I'm saying? I just like, holy God, what happened? You know, I'm going to throw all these clothes right away. Just, you know, saying, start over. Get the garden nose. Where's the squeegee? We can't, this is nuts, man. You know what I'm saying? Just, so, sometimes, you know, but, but as far as olfactory and the smelling, yeah, I got to be standing in like a dead cow carcass before I'm even like, hey, have you guys noticed? You know, it's just, you know, which is, which is a liability, right? You know, my wife has said, you know, you go take a shower. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, I, I like, I didn't know. I was just outside working and doing whatever. We have guests coming over. You know what I'm saying? Just say, enough of you. It just, I'm so grateful for her ability where mine lacks within the body of Christ, where your ability takes over, where mine lacks, where my ability takes over, where yours lacks. We work together as the body, and it's significant and it's important. It's important. And, you know, this, this does go on, right? The, the eye gets all arrogant and acts like none of you guys are part of the body of Christ. Why? Because you're not eyeballs, you know what I'm saying? If you are a real Christian, then you'd be like me. You know, I hope not. All right, we all have our role. Uh, so uh, now God has set in the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. Hmm, he, as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the head, to the or nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you, right? And, and that's where it becomes, you know, sort of easy to put the illustration. Right? The head is so important, but I mean, what is if it's just a head? Hey, that's pretty freakish at that point. If, if the whole body's just a head, all of this body needs to work together. I have no need of you. No, much more rather. Those members of the body which seem to be weaker 
are necessary. Those members of the body which are uh, we think to be less honorable on those we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. And, and yes, you can turn that into something that's embarrassing. But how about like fingernails, right? I keep my fingernails extremely short. I can't stand them going out. I'll just trim them right down. Drives my wife crazy. Constantly trim my fingernails. Oh, just why I want like no white whatsoever. Just like perfectly honed off. You know, anymore, like I feel like it's catching on everything, drives me crazy. Can't stand it. Well, <clears throat> I, I was years ago building a metal building, uh, and uh, I had a drill, and I was trying to set a screw, uh, a self-tapping metal screw, through these two layers of metal, and I was holding one in place, and the drill bit broke, and I drove that right through my thumb. Leaning in with all my body pressure on top of a ladder, went whoosh, and just destroyed my thumb. I mean, the screaming and the howling and the drama, I won't even describe, right? I go in, and it's so wrecked that they take everything that is nail bed out. And I've broken the bone inside my thumb. It, it's, you know, penetrated. They're telling me, look, if you get your nail back, you're going to be extremely lucky because of the damage you've done. You're probably not going to get it. It's all back, okay? But it was eight months, right? It was, it was four weeks before it even began to emerge out. And I'm like, oh, I might actually get my nail back. Man, your thumbnail does so much. I, I just I can't even describe to you all the way like the flesh at the end of your finger beyond your bone inside. If you try to grip something, that'll just fold and roll right back without the thumbnail there. It's really painful, right? Like destroys a whole bunch of mobility and operation. I think just like like I know some of you have lost digits, right? You know, in the saw and whatever. You know, that's like a step further. Just losing the nail. You know, yeah, it's important. Yeah, it's significant. Yeah, I want it there. Boy, take it away. And suddenly, like, oh, my world has changed. <laughs> like, I don't even like, I do not like functioning. And I'm not talking about, like, the injury. Like, the pain and the injury had healed up, and I still got no thumbnail. And, like, that was horrible. I was anxious, waiting for that to grow out eight months. You know, and I'd had this back for two weeks when a coworker dropped a steel purling on this pinky and destroyed that nail right there. And I had to go through the whole thing again with this, this finger. Powerful lesson about the significance of the smallest parts. The smallest parts in the body of Christ where significant parts act like I don't, I don't really need. I don't just, that's a useless we could throw that person away right now. You know, to some degree they're annoying. Why don't why don't we get rid of them? Because they have a significance in Christ. They're part of the body. It's not our call. Christ has placed them within the body. And, and we need to help look for and appreciate and encourage and foster the work and the use and the purpose thereof.
So, so significant what Christ is saying. Right? Let, let, me, let me draw our attention back one more time to the gifts of the Spirit. Right? This mentality of, oh, well, you know, all of us tongue-speaking Christians are going to gather over here where you don't. You probably ought to just remain right here. You know, being lesser as you are. Uh, no. Uh, you know, the significance is within all. You know, the, the Lord and his work and his gifts. So let's let's get through a little more here. So our uh, present, presentable parts have... No need, uh, but our presentable parts have no need. But God com composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. Right? How about that valve in your heart? <laughs> right? Can I just take one of them away? Let's just take one of your heart valves away. Hey, wait a minute. Never seen it before. You know, I'm just told it exists. And they're doing an irreplaceable job. No, you can't have any element of my heart. It needs to function exactly as the Lord intended it to. You know, never seen. Never seen. It is there doing a job that's so necessary. Never, never so much recognized, you know, especially in the ancient world. There should be no schism in the body, division, cutting, dismembering. That the members should have the same care for one another. Slaves are as significant in the ancient world as the wealthiest individuals in those, uh, what they referred to as love feasts, communion. The love of Christ being shared uh, with one another. And if, anyone, if, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. If we're all part of the body and someone gets elevated, then, then everybody in that whole thing is elevated with them. Right? You are, you are elevated with Charles Stanley. And you are elevated with um, you know, Billy Graham. And you are elevated with you know, everyone that has ever been so significant to the body of Christ. We're, we we all collectively are the body of Christ, and we have that same significance. All members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and, and I want to continue with this because we get into other subject matter regarding the gifts of the Spirit, which are significant. So you are the body of Christ and the members individually, and God has appointed these in the church first. Now, listen, again. This whole wrong teaching of importance, significance, you know, worth, value that's taught directly or implied uh, within this, uh, that statement of first doesn't have anything to do with importance. It's just like, number one, apostles, you know, number two, second, prophets, third, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing. And then, you know, most of the time, without saying it, people that teach improperly just sort of veer off. Right? Because the next one listed is helps. You know, just the people that like to help. Uh, you know, it's been said <coughs> that you could, and I'm not going to go through the whole illustration, but you could determine the gifts, the attributes of a person given 
uh, a, 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 an accident or a, you know, a thing like if, you know, I'm sitting up here and I start coughing, um, you know, some of you know me, I, I, I'm prone to that, uh, somewhat, you know, and, and if you're sitting back there thinking like, uh, he always falls to this, uh, like maybe your gift is, you know, being a teacher, you observe what is a known fact, right? Others of you might uh, think like, uh, man, I, why didn't he get a glass of water? Why didn't he have that ready? You know, someone else goes, hey, I'm going to go get him a glass of water. You know what I'm saying? And then in bringing it out, they spill it. You know, and then a whole bunch of other reactions begin to take place in each one of us. Right. One guy without a word just runs for the mop. You know, other people are thinking like, see, I knew that carpet shouldn't be there like that. You know, it's like administration, you know, other people come right up and say, like, it's those flip flops you're wearing, you know, what I'm saying? And, and, and they're correcting the person. The gifts begin to emerge right within the setting. What, what's unfortunate is when the guy who went and got the mop comes back and the person's saying, you know, look, it's your footwear. <laughs> Like, you know, your flip-flops caused this accident. Well, well, then, uh, you know, the mob guys all going around the church telling everybody, you know, you guys, everyone here should be a mob guy. Didn't anybody notice? Why was I the only guy that ran for the mob? Right? And the, and the flip-flop, you know, a teacher is is now, now saying, like, you know, if everybody was as wise as me and could recognize how dangerous flip-flops are, uh, then we wouldn't have had this accident. Like, everybody in this church needs to be, you know, observant like me. Everybody has a role. And, and when, we, when I look at the person who uh, says, hey, it was your footwear, hey, you know, it was the carpet, hey, it was, you know, and hey, I went and got the mop, when I can look at it and I can appreciate, hey, thanks for getting that mop. Thanks for bringing me the glass of water. I appreciate, you know, that is insightful about the flip-flops. I had never considered that before. When we can take in and appreciate everyone's role in these settings, where the division, where the division comes in is when one, two, three, or four people decide, right? And it's usually they have similar attributes. They cluster together. And they decide amongst themselves because of the similarity of their gifts. Everyone here should be like me. And the whole problem is all those people are not like us. And so really we need to take over here and convert everyone here from mob gatherers and, you know, observing to being like us. You know, people who just sit in the back and criticize. And division. Division. I've seen it so many times, it's nauseating. Uh, how about the appreciation for the differences of gifts and the way they work together? These things, right? You know, take the issue of correction. Hey, you wouldn't believe the degree to which correction is needed in the church. Right? And unfortunately, a lot of it falls to me. Having to go and make correction. You know, and now you get people that are saying like, oh, no. You shouldn't have corrected anybody. Oh, so we should just leave these circumstances within the church, let them fester, grow, and destroy the lives of not only the individuals that are engaged in that, but then how it affects other people, 
right? How about the fact that, oh, well, then we become known as that church that tolerates and allows those things in their church. So then all those people out there that want to call themselves Christians that live in that garbage then start going, yeah, this is the church to go to right over here. And then we become a collection of all of that filth, right? You know, how about the approach of just saying like, okay, that correction needed to be done. And man, am I glad I didn't have to do that. <laughs> I'm glad that's someone else's gift, calling in their lives you know and when the time comes i'll have mine you know i'm content to just move this mop around clean up the spills <laughs> it's interesting the way that the enemy gets in and he starts cutting the body of christ apart right we're the bride of christ and this is part of what the lord is saying about no schism no cutting no dividing in the body of christ the with the bride of christ dismembering the bride of Christ. All right, every man in the room that has a bride or ever had a bride, somebody tries to dismember your bride, how happy are you going to be about that? You're going to land on that with knuckles. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's going to be serious consequences to anybody messing with your bride. This is the bride right here. This is the body of Christ. People, people creep in and you know, get in and, you know, divide, cut apart, tear, destroy. No, we're all members of the body. Think about the greater picture and the way this happens denominationally. You know, cutting apart, pull, pulling apart. You know, if you want to be a real Christian, you need to come over here and be part of our denomination. If you want to be a Christian, you got to come over here and speak in tongues. If you want to be a real Christian, you got to come over here. you got to come over here. Pulling apart the body of Christ categorizing and claiming as their own. No, the bride belongs uh, to the bridegroom. One member suffers, they all suffer. We all rejoice together. W one body of Christ, members individually. God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, right? Gifts of healings. And he's going to talk about it. We'll get forward to it. Not everybody is a healer. People act like, oh, if you're really filled with the Spirit, then you'll speak in tongues. If you're really filled with the Spirit, then you'll be a healer. Oh, no, that's not, that's not true. We'll look at that as we move forward. It helps, again. Nobody wants to jump in on board on that, right? You know, the Will Cass International Ministry of helping people out. Why don't, why don't we have massive television programs about that? You know? Today, deeply moved by the Spirit, I went over to my neighbor's yard and cut all their grass. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? People aren't all wound that way. Just rake leaves for a week straight. You know, I just, I, I just cooked simple meals and went door to door, making sure people had food during, you know, whatever illness or whatever. Helps. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Like, how many times have you sat in churches and heard people preach sermons about the gifts of helps? Rare. And yet, you know what's needed in the church more than anything? Helps. Gifts of helps. Administrations. And that's truly the sense of organization. Listen, I had a guy come here years ago who came and said, you know, I've watched for a while now and I've noticed things are kind of disorganized around here. I said, really? thought things were rolling kind of long, kind of smooth and you know, not that it's like especially beautiful, but, um, you know, 
What do you mean? Oh, this is all wrong and that's all wrong and all of this is messed up. And you need to do that differently. And, you know, I got kind of smug and said, so what are you going to do about it? Oh, well, glad you asked because that's my gift. I have the gift of administration. Wonderful. Great. Let's get involved. And uh, we had three meetings right in a row for this individual who had the profound gift of administration. And there were five of us that volunteered to work with them to help them with their gift of administration because that was something that they requested. You know, they have this gift of administration, so they need people to delegate things to and get stuff done. And what we did in each of those meetings was organize him. We organized him. He showed up, didn't know, didn't have, couldn't do, just talk, talk, talk. So really what he was, was he had the gift of criticizing. You know, you ever met people with the gift of discouragement? They're a great blessing, aren't they? Yeah, what in the world? Where is this listed? You know what I'm saying? Like maybe, maybe what you really need is a dictionary to understand what administration is. To understand what encouragement is. It's strange to me how people turn these things around. And then varieties of tongues. The ability to speak languages. Now that can be the person who's just gifted with developing, learning, and understanding languages. It can also be the person who is gifted by the Holy Spirit to speak in unknown languages. I have read a half a dozen different occasions and talked to missionaries who have been in places where people spoke in tongues filled with the Holy Spirit and they were speaking in the native language of the people who were listening without even knowing it and people there accepted Christ because of what they were hearing here's this foreigner who just shows up and begins speaking in tongues and they speak a gospel message of God's glorious salvation and power, and people surrender their lives to Christ. <clears throat> That's truly speaking in tongues. Truly speaking in tongues. And this is a gift that the Lord has, and that's where we started this whole thing. So we'll move on, and this is where it becomes most significant to me, and maybe it's most significant to you. <clears throat> there is... There are several rules within the Greek language. And we have a rule that's similar in English, but it doesn't always apply, right? Rhetorical questions, right? You, know, you say to your kids sometimes, what, well, are you just going to leave that door open? You don't want them to answer yes or no, right? Why, yes, I am. You know, <laughs> you know I do that. <laughs> It invokes a reaction, right? No, I've never punched my children. <laughs> I'm just saying it's a rhetorical question. I do not want a, a smart aleck answer. Okay? It, it, is, it is. I'm asking a question that doesn't deserve an answer, doesn't want an answer. It's rhetorical. And we understand that within the English language to the degree that if a snipe answer comes back, then that invokes a whole other reaction. Right? Our language construct tells us these things. Right? 
This language construct, in the asking of the question, the answers are automatic. And you know what they are before I ever read them. Okay? So, are all apostles? Right? You don't recognize it. I just looked out and several of your heads were going, no. Right? You already knew the answer. No. No. Let's be clear about apostles before we move on. Jesus chose the 12 apostles. And that's the end of the discussion. There are no apostles in this regard after these 12. In the sense that apostle means an individual is sent out, right, to build the church, okay, maybe, it, but more, more significantly today in the church, that would be evangelist, right? The person who has the gift to go out and spread the gospel and build the kingdom and establish churches. Sure, the Lord sends people out that way. But you aren't ever going to get a letter from one of these Kansas City prophets and think, oh, well, I ought to add that right to the back of my Bible right now. I'll just put this right in here. An apostle wrote it, so it must be, you know what I'm saying? But they literally say that. That in the early 80s, God reestablished these offices, and now there are apostles and there are prophets and you know, like Daniel was a prophet, like Elijah was a prophet. Like, and so when they show up at your church, man, you probably ought to just roll out the red carpet. When they come through the door, you probably ought to bow down. Don't make eye contact, right? I mean, after all, they're an apostle. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating it. That, that's literally relayed to the body of Christ. These people are so significant. No, they're not. They're full of junk. Most of them are liars. That's who they are. They're manipulative. They're enriching themselves on the body of Christ. They're draining the resource that God has given to the church into their own life. They're manipulative, false teachers, destructive liars. Need to be confronted. Need to be confronted. It's a really unfortunate thing. Are all apostles? The answer is no. Are all prophets? The answer is no. Are all teachers? The answer is no. And if you didn't have traction on it before we got to that statement, surely that one thing would tell you, right? Tell me, right? You've been to churches where you walked out going, what in the world was that about? Somebody decided that they were a teacher, stood up and started and they've been doing it for months or years or decades. And you're left thinking like, that dude does not have the gift of teaching. Right? I, I, I'm, I'm not just saying that from my pastoral role. I've been in many churches where I've listened to men and thought, well, you know, that wasn't dynamic, but I see what they were doing and that ministered to me. I've been in other churches where I literally was like, what, what are we doing? What, like, where, where's the starting line? Where's, what, where does this end? How do I apply? Like, these are all disconnected ideas. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to give them credit. You know, walk out the door. Some, you find a thinly 
you know, spun vein through it. And you're like, oh, I guess I'll hang on to that thread. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're teaching. They're trying. I guess I'll hang on. You know, others, I have literally walked away going, that guy does not have the gift of teaching. At, like, at all. At all. Okay, let's go a different direction. I had uh, an acquaintance um, years ago. Turns out um, he was clinically insane. <laughs> Literally. Didn't know that when I met him. Had a few conversations with him. He says to my friend, who is a skilled guitarist, skilled musician, been to school, right? Understands music theory, whole nine yards. Got a, got a master's degree. So he, the, the clinically insane dude says to my friend who's a musician, I'm a guitarist. Really? Wow, remarkable. That was great. And they talk guitars for a few minutes, and I'll bring my guitar next week. Oh, okay, great. And he shows up, and he's got a fairly expensive guitar. Very beat up, probably about at a pawn shop, but it's a pretty impressive guitar. And they talk their way through, and my friend tells me later that he was getting the sense in the conversation that he didn't know what he was talking about. So he finally just pours on the pressure and says, you got to show me stuff like, like play, like, like do your thing, like, like go, like, like, come on, you know what I'm saying? And like 10 minutes later, he's like leaned right in and very insistent with, are you going to play the guitar or not? Do something right now. And the clinically insane guy, because I'm observing this, like, what is going on? <clears throat> and the clinically insane guy's like, fine, and proceeds to just sort of have a fit on the guitar strings for like a minute and a half. And my friend is saying, no, stop, no, stop, no, stop. <laughs> And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. He can't play the guitar at all. Not at all. He doesn't know notes. He doesn't know chords. He doesn't know rhythm. He has no, he has no understanding of music. He's insane. L literally later we discover how insane, you know, the aliens that he meets regularly and the conversations that they have and the people that are hunting him down. And he's out of his ever-loving mind. And we helped him in that regard. He has no gift of music whatsoever. You can grasp that concept. There are people within the body of Christ that claim, I have a gift, and they have no gift not even from an earthly sense. They have no gift. Particularly, they have no gift poured out upon them by the Lord from the Holy Spirit. They, they want attention, like my insane acquaintance. You know, I'll ha I have to tell you another story so you really get the grasp of his insanity. A friend called me up. He needed to go down to Belfast, needed a ride. <clears throat> the insane acquaintance found out. And we're going. He called me up and said, I hear you're going to Belfast. Can I go with you? Yeah, go with us. He gets in the car and it's a crazy trip. And there's all kinds of weirdness involved. And I'm so glad when we finally get back and we drop them off. 
Six months later, I get a phone call. And it's the insane friend. And he's hunted me down to where I'm at my mother's house visiting. Right? Don't live there. I'm just, I'm just visiting. He doesn't know my mother. doesn't know her phone number. He has gone through all the connections he can until he gets her number. He calls me there. And I, you know, I'm at my mom's. And, like, she answers the phone. And, uh, yeah, he's here. Here, well, this is for you. Who is this? Your insane friend. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, here? Weird. I take the phone. Hey, what's going on? Nothing. This and that. One or the other. Hey, do you remember that time we went to Belfast? Six months ago? Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I do remember that. Do you remember how it was Mike and you and me and we went down to Belfast? Yeah. We stopped at the Irving right there at Searsport. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. We got a coffee. I think you got an orange juice. We got a box of six donuts. Remember that? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I guess. I do. May I remember that? Well, I know I had one. I know Mike had one. I know you had one. So that's three. Mike might have had two. So that's four. So that leaves two donuts. I know I didn't have a second one. Did you have a second one? I'm laughing now. Like, this is weird, funny. What, what are we doing? And he says, well, I just, do you know where those last two donuts went? Six months ago? <laughs> you, you're, you, you have hunted me down at my mother's house to ask me if I know where two missing donuts are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is hilarious. I can't believe you're calling. It's not hilarious. There were six donuts in that box. And he's not going to let it go, man. Uh, we're, we're now in an argument about two donuts. Crazy, right? No? How about prophecy? Have you had people tell you, I have a gift from the Lord, thus saith the Lord? Right? There was a young girl in this church, young woman, in this church years ago, and she had been living in horrible sin, just things I would never dare describe. And a woman came to this church, and sat right behind her the first morning that she visited. And when we finished singing songs, and I said, take a minute and greet one another. The young woman that had been freed from sinfulness turned around and shook the woman's hand behind her. And that woman grabbed her hand and yanked her right into herself and said, I'm so-and-so, and I don't think you're going to like me being in this church because I can tell when people are fake and when they're just going to fall back into sin and the things of the world. Have a nice day. That young woman came to me after church, hardly able to walk, convulsing and sobbing with this woman, you know, prophetic message. She's filled with the Holy Spirit and told me she has this gift and I, just, I can't go back to the things of the world. I cannot live that way. I can't go back to what Christ has freed me from. And I said, you're not going to. <laughs> the woman that you talk to is crazy. 
She's not filled with the Holy Spirit. She's not. And I have repeated confrontations with that woman. And she finally calls me up one day and says, she's declared herself a prophet amongst us. And she, she says, God has revealed to me that in one year's time, my husband and I and our whole family are going to leave Maine. We're going to go out to New Mexico. We're going to be involved in Skip Heitzig's Calvary Chapel Church out there. We're going to become an extremely vital part of that ministry. God has revealed to me, and she goes on and on about all this stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I've had enough of this woman, and I just want her out of my church. And the Lord says, well, because I'm just listening to the blather on the other end of the phone. The Lord says to my heart, if she asks you if her message is prophetic or if she's crazy, tell her she's crazy. And she wraps up her message by saying, so what do you think? Have I heard from the Lord or am I crazy? Remember how I described the word of knowledge last week? The Lord told me she was going to say that. And I, without any hesitation, said, you're stark raving mad. You're crazy. You, you need help. You're insane. And she was like, what? I said, it's very simple. You're going to leave the church offended with me because I've confronted you this way. And you've got a choice. Because you said you'd be in New Mexico in a year. A very vital part of Skip Heitzig's church. So if you're not, <laughs> then you've got to take my word. You're crazy. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You're filled with crazy. You can be filled with Jesus, and you can be delivered from this. But what you're saying right now, she still lives here in the area. Right? That was 10, 12 years ago she told me those things. Right? Her whole family, they still live here in the area. Right? They never made even a shot or an attempt at getting there at all, whatsoever. It's not possible. They can't. So many circumstances. There, there are people, you guys, that... Make these great attempts. Are all, no, no, no. Not everybody speaks in tongues. You know, certain denominations, certain churches you've been to are like, if you're filled with the Spirit, you have to speak in tongues. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to prophesy. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you're going to be able to heal people. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you're going to be able to preach. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, they're going to, no. Every, there are all these different gifts, and they all work together. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, everyone will be a thumb. Everyone will be an eyeball. Everyone will be an ear. This is exactly what Paul is saying. Why in the world do they teach that, given how clear this is? Truly, they could not have examined this in the detail that it is written out to us, absorbed it, and said, oh, well, there. Because this is telling us flat out. I don't know how you get more plain than this. They're all very, listen, you can go home tonight and you can spend some time alone with the Lord asking him, Lord, what is the gift you've already given me? And he's probably going to tell you with great clarity. And then the next thing you can do is say, Lord, now that I understand that with such clarity, 
What do you want me to do with that gift? What is it you want me to do? And if we will do, there's more to it, but if we will especially do those two things, discover what the gift is, and then discover what the purpose for the gift is, you'll have so much fulfillment in your life. The Lord will just enrich you, and you will enrich the body of Christ. And you'll find a contentment, right? Because then you don't have to look over at somebody else whose gift you admire and think, well, if only I was like them. You can, you can find a contentment in your place as we all work together. Does this make sense to us this evening? Uh, uh, let me just ask you this, and I am sort of looking for uh, a response. <clears throat> Do you understand why I'm taking so much time to sort of unteach and reteach? Because of the way it's so improperly taught in the church. We, we, I suspect each one of us in this room is filled with the Holy Spirit. We've surrendered our lives to Christ. We've asked to be born again. We've said, give me your Holy Spirit. Make me a child of God. My suspicion is he's already given you the gift he wants you to have. Right? There may be more to it, right? And, and you may have a separate experience of the baptism, which teaches you of the love of Christ and the jubilation that comes with that. Great, wonderful. But the false teaching that has just penetrated the church has so diminished the, 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 the working of the Holy Spirit. And, and like, look around the world, brothers and sisters, right? Is the world not in need of the Holy Spirit? Is the world not in need of the church? And the church is just being disintegrated. Disintegrated. False teachings and appetites of the flesh and all of this garbage that is just turning the church inside out. I said this morning, and I'll close with this concept, right? <clears throat> for every For every church that is being built, be it physically or just assembled, for every church that is being built, three are closing. And that, that's, I mean, that's a straight-up statistic right now. There is a massive apostasy that is occurring, a departure from our faith that is occurring in the world. And it needs to be that we respond to the Lord and, and we are gathered together as the body of Christ for usefulness unto him. Amen? Amen. So, we're still not done with 1 Corinthians. We'll come back here and move forward because there's more to learn about the practical functions within the church and within the church meetings. So, let's pray. Let's stand and pray.